Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12, please. 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's exciting as, you know, he said, you know, he came to me a couple weeks back and he's saying, Pastor Matt, we're running out of room. And I said, no, I know that. And he says, no, 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 I can hear you. I, I know you're running. We hear you above us jumping. And, he, and he's like, no, it's, it's a really good thing, but we're really, like, really running out of room. And I, I said, well, are the kids getting taught the word of God line by line and verse by verse age appropriate? He said, yes. Are they having a time of fellowship where they're coming together and learning how to build each other up? He says, yes. I said, then God is going to do what God's going to do. And you watch because you can't outgive God and where God, God, you know, guides, he provides. And I said, let's just, just stay in the word of God and get our kids in the word of God and watch what God will do through that. Um, we don't have to make it a fun play day. We just need to center it on the word of God and scripture. And they'll have a lot of fun learning about Jesus. So I think by now you are all there. And um, we're going to pick up in verse, uh, we'll be 16 here, okay? You might remember, this is probably, <laughs> I dare I say it this way, but this is one of David's darkest moments. Uh, he's had a couple of these, but this is clearly one of his darkest moments. He's going to have this moment and calling of repentance. Last week we read Psalm 51, so we got a good understanding of his heart. But um, we are going to see to the extent of the consequence of sin. And it just, you know, I don't know about you, but every time I think of sin, it, it breaks my heart because there's such destruction. Every time there's sin, and sin doesn't just affect me or the individual com, you know, committing the sin, but it's such a ripple effect, like a, like a pebble thrown into water and the ripples that go, and it affects so many other people. And again, we talked about David's sin here, this desire, this lust he's had, and he keeps lusting and lusting, and he's marrying these wives. He's having these other children. He's doing all of these things, and, all, and they're all contrary to God's word because of Deuteronomy 17, 17, where he was told, no, you know, that's one man, one woman for life. That was it. And he said, kings, you should not take multiple wives, right? They also weren't to build chariots and all these things because God is king and he's sovereign and we need to let the Lord lead. And he wanted us not to become dependent on man or something, a government or anything like that. He wanted us to become dependent on Jesus. And so David, though, contrary to that you know, commandment or statute of God, he's going to take uh, things into his own hand. As you know, we've already read about Bathsheba and the lust. He didn't go out to fight as he should have in battle as a king. Every spring, that's what they did. He didn't do that. And he began to lust with his eyes. Again, not the first time there was a problem there. And he then thought, well, you know what? What's the big deal? A little murder, a little adultery. You know what? I'm king. I can do whatever I want, you know? And, and absolute power does corrupt people, absolutely. And that's what we see here. So I, I pray this is a a wake-up call, a check for all of us to be very diligent in um, bringing everything that we think, feel, or do before the grid of Scripture and let it be weighed before Scripture before we ever dare take an action to do something that would be contrary to the Word of God. Let it be a warning for us because as we'll see tonight, and, and these are heavy chapters, I mean, you're going to read chapter 12 as we read this, and even in chapter 3, rape is going to come from this. Well, pastor, how do you say that? How's that David's fault? Well, had he not had multiple wives and not had multiple children with different wives, none of that would have happened. So this sin just keeps permeating and permeating. And so let's, let's turn our attention right now to verse 16. I'll, I'm going to back up to actually verse 14 just to 
just to get going. He says, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Do you, do you see that? That's exactly what sin does. That's what the sin of adultery did, and that's what sin does in general. But, and he says, the child also is born to you shall surely die. This is heavy. This is a heavy consequence. But there are consequences to sin. And, and it's hard for us to reconcile a good, holy God with this action that God allows to happen here. And, and we realize that he's even the author of this action. We, we can't ignore what the scripture teaches here. Some people try to water that down and say, oh, no, God. No, God authors this. And it's a du- in direct relationship to sin. And we, we have to acknowledge that. And we can't run from that. We can't try to explain that away as Christians. Instead, we ought to humble ourselves and acknowledge the sovereignty of God and, and realize that this isn't God's design or plan, but there are certainly consequences to sin. Then Nathan departed to his house, and Nathan was the prophet that was the mouthpiece for God at that moment, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife was born to David. Please notice, every single time we've seen it up until this point, it's Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife. It's not David's wife. Because David committed murder and adultery, it's not David's wife. Because David hasn't repented, David hasn't taken the step. So what, you think, David, because you murder and Uriah's out of the picture, and then you marry her because she's pregnant with child, somehow that makes everything okay in the sight of God? Absolutely not. God's a sovereign, righteous God and judge that way. And so... And it became ill. Now David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. I I just draw our attention back. I want you to think about how many children, right? His oldest, as we're going to read in chapter 13, Amnon. He's the oldest child of David. He would have been the prince. He was the heir to the throne, right? We're going to see his life is taken, right? We're going to turn because of rape, basically, by, the, by his uh, half-brother, Absalom. And then we're going to read chapter 13 and guess, or um, chapter 18, and guess what? Absalom, because he's going to go against God like that, he's going to die. And then Adonijah in 1 Kings um, uh, chapter, I think it's 2 or 12, I, I forget right now, but uh, it's 1 Kings 2. We're going we're to read how his life, I mean, it's one thing after another that way, because part of the consequences that the Lord had said, please remember, back in verses 9 through really 14, that this isn't going to leave your house. Do you remember we talked about what was met, what he measured out to Joab has now been measured back to him. He told to Joab, the sword will never leave your home, Joab. And well, God says, what you measured out to Joab, now I've measured back unto you. This sword is not going to leave. And so just think about the devastation here. And the kids and everything. And by the way, these children, certainly um, Amnon, Absalom, Andrew, they all had free will and choice. But unfortunately, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. And they began to not follow the, the leanings of their father and the relationship he had in the word, right, with God. But they did what they saw dad do. Dad said one thing, but he did another. You know, dad wanted this woman, so he killed the husband and married the woman. And our, our actions matter, friends. That, that's what I'm 
you know, the Holy Spirit's communicating to us tonight. What we do matters. What we think matters and the way we behave matters. And, and that's sobering, isn't it? I mean, if you want to walk after righteousness and you desire to walk after God, it, it should cause everybody here this evening uh, just to be mindful and sober to these things. Things are heavy. So he goes on to say that um, uh, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. Again, right response. And David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. And I think even, this is a picture for me, even devoted prayer and fasting didn't change God's direction here, right? But you know what it did do? And as we're going to continue reading here, it prepared David for God's plan. So the fasting and the preparation and the prayer wasn't wasted because God didn't uh, turn around and say, okay, David, I'm going to keep the child alive. No, no, no. God's decision was made. It didn't change. Prayer didn't change God's mind in this particular case. And that's for us as well. There's times we will fast and pray and, and God's God and he's going to do the very best. And you might say, well, how is this the very best? Because where is that child going? To with Jesus, right into the throne room of God. So for God, there's no better place than that child could ever be. But for David, do you realize after this passage, he will never, ever in Scripture commit this sin again? He will never, ever commit this sin again because it's so changed David. It's so wrecked David. And again, more is caught than taught. So, he turns around, he prays for a directional change by God, but what God's really doing is preparing David for his plan. This is an important lesson. It's what he's doing with us many times. And so the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. What this is saying is he may harm himself. He was so destroyed and wrecked by this, as any loving parent would be. And that had to be the longest period that he was going through because as he knew the Lord, he knew God. He has a heart after God. He knew what he did was wrong. He had repented and he's going to repent from his, or he already had repented from his sin. He, he got, had gone to Nathan. He says, what have I done? He went to the Lord and he, he's repented, but there's still consequence to sin. And now he's watching that have to play out and there's nothing he can do to change it. I bet, I bet David wished he could have a do-over. But sometimes the answer is no, friends. And that's why we ought to think very clearly about what we do before we do it. And, and even what we speak or say before we open our mouths. Because it's so hard to get those words back, isn't it? Sometimes in anger or frustration, we, we speak so quickly and, oh, we just wish we could take them back as though they never had been uttered. That's why it's so important to bring these things to the grid of Scripture, to the Lord. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Now, you may be reading this for the first time tonight, or maybe you've read this passage before and you're like, what? You're going to worship God? Lord, after you just did this, you would think that David would be what? angry, but he wasn't. 
You see, what David is recognizing in this moment is the understanding of authority and submission. He's understanding that what he did, and he knows what he did was wrong. And you know what he's doing? He's submitting himself to God. And he's going to the Lord, and he's lifting holy hands, and he's worshiping God, even when it doesn't go according to his plan. Even when his prayer and fasting doesn't change God's decision, David is exemplifying for that nation, for those people, that it's God's will and his way. And from this point forward, that's what I desire. It's so difficult, the travesty that had to happen to get David there. But I pray we can learn from this so we don't have to go through that same kind of a travesty in life. So he submits and surrenders and submits to God's will. Then he went to his own house and when he had requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child when he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he, he enlightens them, so to speak, biblically. And, and, and in his heart, he's like, I did what I could when there was something to do about it. But now that child was with, with the Lord. I don't need to, to, to worry about that child. For, not that parents that lose child, you, you, always love, you will always have that child with you. But that child's in the arms of God, well-protected, blessed, and joyful. Doesn't make it any easier for David. Doesn't make it any easier for Bathsheba. But David's able to look at them and say, I know where my son is. He's with God. He said, when the child was alive, I fasted and wept. And I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me? that the child may live. He, he wasn't sure, Lord, are you going to change your mind, change your decision on this? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And I love this. I, I underline this. I encourage you to online your scripture. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. It is a confirmation that even David and the patriarchs in the Old Testament say, they understood heaven and the afterlife in the teaching that absent with the body, present with the Lord. And that's where that child is. And he knew that he would one day go and be where that child is. That's a great scriptural encouragement. If you are mourning for someone that you have uh, has recently gone to be with Jesus or gone to heaven, and you, you still, you know, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, and still in the depths of your heart, you long and you miss that loved one. You're going to be with them. If they were a born-again believer, you're going to be with them again. And you're going to them. You're going to God. And I do believe you will see them after you see Jesus. And they're going to welcome you. And there's going to be a special relation between that you, that person, and you in heaven. So he has faith in, in God, in heaven, and seeing his child again. Now, we're going to look at uh, verses 24 and 25 here. This is the first time, very interesting, I pointed out to you in the previous passage, this is the first time that Bathsheba is not going to be referenced as the wife of Uriah. Why? Because David is repentant. David has been, has repented and now he's being reconciled. And so God now acknowledges the fact that David, because he repented, because he's right with God, and because God has dealt with the sin, remember he said that he was not going to uh, charge him with the capital crime because it was a capital crime to commit adultery. 
you can read back again verses uh, uh, 9 through, I think it's 14 there, where it, he turned around and came back and says, I'm not going to take your life. I, you, you, you know, I've forgiven your sin, but there were still consequences to that sin. So we read here, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. That's the first time we see this, okay? Um, and went into and lay with her. Now, it's interesting. After we read this, we're going to see his name Solomon here, the child that's going to be born. We're not going to read about Solomon again until we get to 1 Kings. But he's mentioned on the scene for the first time here. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, which means peace that way, right? Or uh, the Hebrew Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, loved of the Lord. I think that God was communicating to Solomon through Solomon, excuse me, to David and to Bathsheba, you have been forgiven and I no longer hold any type of what we would say in human terms as a grudge or any type of continuation. No, your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is for the west and I no longer say it, see that that way. This is new beginnings. And I thought, what a beautiful picture that you and I get to see how God operates that way, that even when we blow it, even when it's, you know, if somebody murders somebody, a travesty of a sin, that God is so faithful and just that those who come to him, he will forgive your sin. He will restore you in right relationship and he will make all things new. That's the God we serve. And it's a beautiful picture here of this. Again, we wish it never had to happen that way, don't we? When we read this account. But the reality is it's so good to know that wherever we are, that when these things happen in our life, God doesn't just forsake us. He just doesn't abandon us because of our sin, because we blow it. No, he desires to pull us ever closer and restore us. That's just his intention the whole time. He's a good, good God. So she bore a son and she called his name Solomon. And now the Lord loved him. Do you see that? And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. That's what that means, because of the Lord. Very clearly God was authoring this, allowing this. Now, we're going to be kind of going back to the scene. Do you remember uh, we were seeing the war that Joab had already engaged in back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 10? We're kind of going back to that scene because now all of a sudden Joab's going to engage back in this war that had begun in chapter 10. And then we kind of had that you know, movement where we started going in and seeing what David was doing, Bathsheba and all of that and the sin and everything. Now we're kind of going back to that, but this isn't just sort of like, okay, pick it up from here. I remind us again, where should David be? Out to battle. What is God using Joab to do? To get David back to where he belongs. He's restored David. This is part of the, again, um, the final phase, you might say, of his restoration. Get back to the will of God, David. Get back to doing what you were called to do. It's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to get back in the battle. And that's a good word for us as Christians. There are seasons that we go through difficulties, whether it's health, uh, mourning, different things like that. And man, we're taking off our, you know, oh, I see some of you, and I know some of the things you all are going through because you come in and you share them with me, and we pray together, and the pastors pray for you. And, and I know, I, man, I can't. I look at some of you, and I, I, I know you guys are stronger than me. I mean that. I see some of the things 
divorce or, uh, you know, loss of a loved one, a spouse, or, or, or a sickness of a child. And, and you guys, I look at you and I lift you up and I praise God for your faith. And, you know, I go through it with you. And, but I sit back and I go, you're, you're stronger than me. I know you are. You're stronger than me. I look at these things and, and, and all I keep getting reminded is, Lord, it's through these seasons that you're with them. You're, you're, I'm watching you literally carry these people through the deepest and darkest moments of their lives. And you're bringing them out of that season and you're starting a, a whole new season. And through that whole new season, God, there's amazing things you're doing. You're not just keeping them on the sidelines like you're done. No, no, you open up new opportunities, new ways to serve, new people and relationships, new ways to invest in the kingdom of God. So Joab fought against Rabban of the people of Ammon. And took the royal city, and Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have taken the city's water supply. They, how long are they going to survive without water? Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. Joab doesn't want the, the glory, but what's he really doing here? He's being used by God to what? Get David back in the battle. David, get out here. The city's ready for you. Come and declare it now. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. Then he took their king's crown from his head, okay? And it weighed, was seven, was a, a talent of gold. Do you know how much that is? Just to get, 75 pounds. That's 70, I mean, you're talking about weighing it down, right? Guy had to do neck exercises every day. I mean, a weigh a kind of crown like that. I mean, oh my. 75 pounds with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. Now, God's calling certainly isn't complete yet. Again, David's back in God's will. He's doing the right things. He's restored that way, and God is doing what? He's just pouring out what? Favor and blessing. He's not turning around and going, David, do you remember what you just did a chapter ago or, you know, 20 verses ago? No, that's that's gone. It's been covered by the blood. It's, it's gone. There is, there is nothing like that. There is no remembrance of that sin. And I, I'm so grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for that. You know, when we get those moments where we think back to previous sin or things, that's not Jesus. That's the devil. That's condemnation. And, and it says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But boy, doesn't he love to do that. He loves to entice you into sin, and then he loves to keep guilting you for it. You just give that to, right to the Lord. You repent and turn with a true heart. Man, that's gone. Then why, are you, why are you even thinking about it? It's, it's off you. It's, it's like thinking about something that's gone that can never be brought back. It's futile. It's so good that the Lord is so faithful to do that. And by choice, God chooses that through grace. So he brings out the people and, um, who were in it, in it, and he put them to work and with saws and iron picks and iron axes and makes them cross over to the brickwork. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Once again, God gives favor and they win the battle. They win the battle because David's following the Lord. All the green lights. God's putting the green lights in front of him. David's stepping through green lights. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. That was the final phase of David's restoration in this point. He had to deal with the sin. He had to confess it. He had to repent it. And now God's going to allow this newness of life and uh, 
you know, David accepts God's forgiveness. He's not looking back and saying, well, I'm disqualified. I can't be of use to the Lord. It's not no such thing. He's thinking about what can I do to further the kingdom of God, right? I think that just shows you how strong God's grace is. Now we go into chapter 13 and look, again, is David going to make poor decisions? Yes, there are some decisions. Because one of the things that David's going to struggle with while he will not commit this kind of sin or this kind of murder like this ever again, as we'll read in the rest of scripture, there's still a point of David where he has not, he's avoided confrontation when it comes to his children. He sometimes has put his children in a place that only his God belongs. And this can happen in families here. This can happen to pastors. This can happen to elders. This can happen to all of us here where we begin to put our kids in a place they don't belong and we actually enable their sin or we, we don't turn around and deal with it and, and we just kind of keep quiet thinking, well, they'll just get over it or get better. We don't ever, you know, confront the sin. And, and because, you know, David's going to hear about this, his daughter, Tamar, is going to be raped by his, her, her half-brother, Amnon. Despicable. And David should have stood up and said, son, I love you, but this is a capital crime. It's rape. And I can't be a respecter of persons. And he ought to give, give him to the magistrates. And then, obviously, just like he did, fast and pray and seek God's grace for forgiveness. But David doesn't do anything. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything. So you know what happens? Absalom... Tamar's sister, he gets so upset and just indignant because his own father doesn't even step in to discipline him that he thinks he has to take matters into his own hands instead of, again, trusting the Lord for the vengeance, right? So he tries to be this, you know, going after the blood that way. And in so doing, not only does Amnon die, but this leads to Absalom totally breaking relationship with David and then forming a coup to come against and take the kingdom or try to take the kingdom from David. All because David didn't stand in the gap of righteousness. Again, there's another biblical lesson for us here. When it's wrong, it's wrong. And it doesn't make it less wrong because it's our child, because it's our spouse, because it's a family member, somebody we love. If it's against the will of God, or it's sin. We have to acknowledge sin. And look, I'm not standing before you and saying that's easy. It's not. It's the hardest thing that we'll ever do in our lives to confront somebody that way. But it's the very thing that may save their lives. Because David shirks in this responsibility, it'll cost him the life of his two other boys. His oldest, which should have been at the prince and should have been the heir to the throne, and then the next born. And I just think about all the destruction in David's life. I've got four boys. And I think of my kids. And I, I, I can't imagine one child is too many to lose. And I can't imagine two and three and, and four. And again, all because of sin. All because of destruction. It continues on because, you know, he should have broke fellowship off right away. No, you're done. You're in sin. And that's not just an Old Testament passage. That's a New Testament teaching, 1 Corinthians. But that didn't happen. And God has to weigh the sin. And you know what? It brings even more pain to David. 
So again, let us pay attention to these things. And, 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 and maybe this is for some of us here tonight. Maybe this is for somebody that we're going to come alongside. The Lord's going to use us and come along. Somebody, somebody that's hurting and what do I do? The kid's, you know, the kid's acting up at home and how do I, you know, he said threatened to run away. He's 20, 19, whatever. What do I do? You know, how do we, how do, we do those things? How do, we, how do we handle it the way Jesus Christ would have us to handle it? These are very difficult things, aren't they? These are not light matters. Well, as I already said, the propagation of sin, it just a little leaven spoils the lump or continues to spoil the lump. Look here with me, please. At chapter 13, okay? Now, after this, Absalom, the son of David, and had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. Now, this is from um, Maacah, who was David's wife, right? And Maacah's mother was uh, Talmi. You can read that in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, whose father was the king of Geshur. Okay, just so you understand who we're talking about and how that line comes down. Again, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, Amnon was from uh, Anahom or Hanom, the Jezreelitess. So two, same dad, two different moms, half brother, half sister at this point. That's what we're talking about. He was, as you might say, lovesick with her, and that's what we're reading here. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. That means she was able to marry. That details, that's what it's giving us. And it was improper that Amnon do anything to her. And again, that's because of the law, the Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 through 18, tells us incest is a sin, okay? It's not allowed. Now, I know that some of you might say, wait a minute, go back to Abraham and prior law and, you know, go keep going back. Yes, apparently there was a time where Abraham was able to marry his half-sister and that wasn't a sin because it was populating the earth. But then apparently uh, enough population had happened and that the DNA, I guess, had become compromised that God said, no longer is this allowed. No longer are you allowed to marry a brother, sister, cousin. None of this incest stuff, okay? And God made it law, no longer allowed to do this, to protect the DNA. And if you follow some of the things that even the last thousand years, uh, a lot of the, well, you've probably been hearing the news, a lot of the royal family stuff that's been going on, right? If you go back, even in Britain today, and you study some of the things going on with the royals there, there has been situations where children that have come from that family have had some birth defects and different things that have happened because of incest, because of things that had happened because of the inbreeding of what traditionally was done between royals and royal families. So clearly there's a consequence, and God was not doing this to just do it, but he was protecting. He was trying to protect people and said, no more should incest be allowed. It's going to compromise the DNA and ultimately result in potentially a birth defect. And so that's why God had stopped this and ceased this, okay, according to Leviticus 18, 6 through 18. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah. Look, if you've got a friend like this that we're going to read about, get away. You don't need friends like this. David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. You know, <laughs> What does the Bible say about bad counsel? Hold your finger here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, what does God say about the people you hang with, the people you keep company with, the people you take counsel from? Because there's a whole lot of people that want to give us advice, isn't there? They, a lot of people are more than happy to give us advice, but we really need God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. And we need people that God will speak through, right? And be faithful to take people back to scripture, not to their own opinions. Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, you might've heard it in the olden days and the way my Ma and grandma used to say it is, one bad apple spoils the bunch. You've probably heard that saying, right? One bad apple spoils the bunch. Or, hey, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. We know some of the, where do you think it came? It came from scripture. It came from 1 Corinthians, not the exact saying, those became idioms, but the, the lesson or axiom came from 1 Corinthians 15. It was the idea that good counsel is sought after, but bad counsel corrupts, evil. And it, it's, it's deceptive because it doesn't appear that way, right? That's how Satan works. He appears an angel of light. He doesn't come in and appear as though, hey, this is... But we read of this man, he was a crafty man, okay? And he said, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar my brother Absalom's sister. He's lovesick. He's literally so sick so that he's making himself sick. So now he's going to, this Jonadab is going to hatch a plan because he's crafty and he's going to give this to Amnon. He says, you do this and, and it'll all work out here. This is going to solve your problem. What is he actually telling him to do? He's telling him to go contrary to the word of God. If you get somebody that comes up to you and says, you know, the gospel says, but just like Satan in the garden and twists the scripture, friends, this isn't a moment where you need to turn around and feel like God wants you to evangelize them. God may very well want them to come to Christ, but at that moment, you do not turn around and go, well, okay, I'll try it your way, and maybe then I can use that to sort of maybe disciple you, lure you into, because I mean, in good motive, you might think that's going to work, but God already said, don't be deceived. It's going to corrupt. So he's warning us. He says, don't do this. Right now, Amnon should have ran the other way. He should have got as far away from this guy who's telling him to go contrary to the scripture. And friends, I want to look at you and say, and I mean this with the, the deepest in my heart of protection, lead, feed, and protect as an under-shepherd. I want to look at your eyes. I want to say this to all of you. If you ever have somebody tell you to walk contrary to the scriptures, to the Bible, get away from them. Don't try to influence the, just get away from them, right? If they're trying to, if they're a close friend or they're trying to give you, you know, counsel that way, get away from them. In no way are they going to help you. In no way listen to their counsel. If it's contrary to the word of God, it's not going to end well, just like it's not going to end well for Amnon. It's going to cost him his life. Again, sin. And I just think the Lord is pointing these things out so adamantly for us that we, we continue to, in these last days, stay holy, stay pure. He says, why are you lovesick? Come here, he says. So Jenadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. Here's the plan, because he's crafty. And when your father comes to see you to, and say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So apparently, I guess when he would get sick, he'd say, you know, okay, come on in. And David would come over and check on him. What's going on, son? How are you feeling? He would check in on him and see what was going on with one of his children. 
And, and Jinnadab is saying, look, when he does that, I want you to play him. Tell him, because you have to understand at that time, you might be thinking, why do you have to do that? Because Tamar and the daughters, they would have been kept completely separate in a different area. Than, and it would have been completely off limits for Amnon to go and have a fellowship or something like that. They were, there was a lot of mechanisms and protections in place so that t- terrible things didn't happen. So that rape didn't happen. So that these terrible things didn't happen, right? And that's why, again, our young people, I really encourage you. And I know it sounds old-fashioned. But when you go on dates, I really encourage you to have an accountability partner there. Because then you're never put in a situation, women, where you're being forced into something that would be against Scripture. And if the guy really loves you, he'll appreciate that because he knows he's doing that for the daughter of the king. And he'll treat you like the daughter of the king. And, and, and you don't want a guy that's not going to treat you that way. If a guy's going to treat you like an object, get, <laughs> that's not the Lord. Because if he doesn't love Jesus more than he loves you, he's going to, you think it's going to get better? No. He's only going to, he's not just going to trample over you, step upon you, and walk upon you that way. No, don't you ever, ladies, lower the bar, or lower the standard. And men the same way. If there's a lady that's being aggressive and coming upon you that way, and she's, and you, you know, hey, I'll help you with your homework or, you know, whatever comes over to house like that, stay in the family room. Stay around people where there's accountability. Our boys, you know, friends, they have friends in the teen groups that come over to house, different things like that. They're always in a common place. There's never, ever a time where there needs to be my son, any one of my boys, I don't care how old they are, alone with a girl in a bedroom upstairs. There's no reason for that. There's just no reason for that. And honestly, if, they, if, the, if the girls would come over and they were going to hang out or whatever, if they can't be around the family and be part of the family and they're trying to hide something that way, that's a red flag. That's just a red flag. That's just, you know, this is, these are things that we have lost today. Not everybody. I know some of you adhere to these things and believe these things and you, you follow scripture, but there's so many people that have, have moved away. Oh, you know, that's what my dad did or my mom did. That's old fat. Hey, that's good wisdom. Why would you want to throw out that good wisdom? It's, it doesn't decay. God's wisdom doesn't decay. It's not like a milk carton. It's got an expiration on it, right? So these things are important and, and parents encourage that and grandparents encourage your kids in those things. So he says, this is the plan, right? Then I'm going to lay down and pretend to be, he says, be, you know, be ill, but your sister's going to come. She'll take food from the hand. So David sent home to Tamar, verse 7. Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight and baked cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. Again, he wouldn't have been alone. That's not normal. They would never have been alone. Even a sister like that, they wouldn't have been alone. So this is an odd thing. This is an odd thing for Amnon to make this kind of request. So he says, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. But I have to imagine they're probably, what are you doing? Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes, which she made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Again, she's just innocent, isn't she? She's just going in. She, her brother, she thinks her brother's sick. She's just going in to bring him, you know, uh, something to help revitalize him. He's been losing weight. He's, he's turning his skin and bones. You know, she wants to feed him, take care of him. She's innocent. This isn't a woman. This is a woman that's just trying to love and be Christ-like. 
You see, the, the reason I say this is because there's guys like this out here, wolves that will take care of the, in, you know, they'll try to take and take advantage of the innocence and the purity of women and, and, and godly women that way. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. What this applies in the Hebrew, just so you understand, he grabbed her by the arm and he yanks her. That's how this is implied in the Hebrew. This isn't like a, oh, come sister, sit with me. No, he grabs a hold of her. And he pulls her to the point of force. But she answered, no, my brother, do not, and there the word is, so you know it's force, circle it, force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. She knows exactly what's going on. Do not do this disgraceful thing. She's trying to speak scripture into his life. Don't do this. You're the prince. You're going to be the next king. You're going to throw all of it away. For what? Don't do this this way. Don't break God's commandments. Don't be an idolater before God that way. And choosing your lust over God? Don't do that. She's trying to speak to his heart. No. I imagine the Lord was screaming in his ear this very thing that she was speaking. He's screaming in his ear, get away. But he, he wouldn't listen to God. And I, where could I take my shame? You see, she points it out because maybe he would be sensitive to that. The fact that if he takes her virginity, she's not able to marry thereafter in that culture at that time. And what would happen to her? Who would care for her? How would she end up being, you know, single the rest of her life that way and without children, no heir to the name, no, and in he, you know, in Israel, that was a big deal in the Hebrew culture to have children and to carry on and propagate the name was a big deal because land rights were all tied to that from tribes, not just because she's the daughter of a king, but because the tribes and the land inheritance rights. And so you propagated and those went to the children and stayed within the family. Okay. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't bring shame to me this way. And as for you, you would be like one of the fools. He says, you're going to throw it away. She's basically, you're going to throw away your kingship. Your what are you doing? Don't violate me like this. Your future is going to be ruined. You're, you're in line to be king. Remember, they don't know about Solomon at this point as far as that he's going to be king by God. They don't know this. At this point, everybody's looking to Amnon. He's the oldest. He's next in line. He says, you're going to be one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not hold me from you. Now, I want to be very clear. I believe this with all my heart. He, she is saying that to him, not in any way to say, hey, have, your, have dad break God's commandment in Leviticus, uh, the commandment specifically, you know, Leviticus 18 uh, and regarding incest. She's saying that so she can get the heck out of there. Let, let, say, go to dad and ask dad if I can. And she's trying to get out of Dodge, right? You know what, ladies? That's smart. That's smart. You're in that moment. You need to say help. You need to do what you need to. Hey, we can, you know, okay. And you get out of there, right? And I'll tell you what I've heard Pastor Joe say, and he means it. He says, if you need to, you tell her, close your eyes and I'll, I'll give you the kiss. Close your eyes and then you pop them and you run. <laughs> and I heard Pastor Joe said that. I says, you know what? I'm going to steal that. That's good. That's the Lord's. Get out of there. You get right out of there. And that's exactly what she's trying to do. I don't think for one minute she's actually saying she's willing to sin against God. She's been saying everything contrary to this, hasn't she? So I don't think for one minute that's what's happening here. 
He will not hold you from me or me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. What did he do? He raped her. This is rape. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. You see this? This is what's so sick about this. Whether it was demonic or whatever was happening at that moment. When he had gotten what he wanted, immediately he was so disgusted, not only with himself, but that situation that he didn't even want to see her. He was repulsed by it. Because this was not done in love. No, no, no. You know how earlier it said love? No, no, no. He wasn't lovesick. He was lustsick. He was lustsick. And now all he wants to do is throw her away because she reminds him of his evil. And he's evil, and he doesn't want to see it because it's so repulsive, he can't even look at it because God has to deal with him on that. Our sin looks better on other people. We never see how disgusting it looks upon us. The name not... Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Don't even lusted for her. And Amnon said to her, Arise and be gone. Please pay attention, ladies. Guys like this exist. Please pay attention. If you're hearing this on the radio, if you're listening to this on the website or the app, and you're hearing this right now, and you're in this situation, and maybe you're in an abusive situation, get out. Call the church. We'll help you. Get out of the situation. Don't live in fear that way. That's not God's plan. Get out. Call the church. We'll help you. We don't want anybody to ever be in this situation, whether it's a girl or a guy. Please, don't think you have to stay in an abusive situation. No. Even if you're married and it's and something like that happens, look, you can, 1 Corinthians 7, you can separate for a time so that counseling can be had, biblical counseling from, you know, me or one of the pastors here. We'll sit down. God wants to redeem that. God wants to deal with that anger. Please, please, please don't continue in that relationship. Nothing good is going to come from it that way. And I say that with a heavy heart because unfortunately we've, we've known situations like that. And it big, brings God great sorrow. But he would not listen to her. Well, let me back up. So he said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. Because of the shame, the reproach, everybody outside knew what happened. Those that were normally his care keepers or those that would have been servants that would have been on the outside of that door, they heard that. They know what happened. And when she walks out, the shame that's going to come upon her, she no longer has her virginity. And what that stigma meant in that culture, she's, please don't send me away right now. She's hurt. She's broken. Don't do this, brother. Don't do that. But he wouldn't listen. You know, I think, honestly, even marriage would have been better than the stigma of what she was dealing with in that moment. Certainly wouldn't have been God's plan or design, but it's so terrible what she does. 
or what he does, I meant to say, excuse me. Then he called his servants who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors. You know, that was the signal that she was the daughter of the king. It was precious for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and took a robe of many colors that was on her and laid it on her hand, on her head, and went away crying bitterly. You know what she's doing, friends? She's mourning for her loss right now. She's mourning for her loss. Her marriage, her future, it was all stolen for her. Uh, God's plan and God's very best was stolen from her. So disgusting. Certainly, I want to be very clear. God in no way consented with this. Just because it's recorded in Scripture doesn't mean God was okay with it. No, he isn't okay with it. But the one thing that I do appreciate and love about Scripture is that we get the exact account as it is, and nothing is hidden from us as believers. We see these things. We learn from these things. We turn from these things. And I pray to God if there's somebody that's struggling in here with abuse or lust or something like that, addiction, sexual addiction, please come talk to one of the pastors in the church. Please seek counseling. Please do not think that you can manage this on your own. It will consume you, just like any addiction will. You need to get help. It's one of the things I prayed for a long time, that as men come forward or women come forward, and begin to talk about their addictions, that God will raise up an addictions ministry here, that we can begin pouring in to these men and to these women with the word of God and wash them and cleanse these women and cleanse these men from the things they've seen and the things they've done and that they would be forgiven before Jesus, their Lord, and be restored and put right. God bless you and all things can be made new. And I just praise God. I just pray God raises a ministry like that up there because it's it's so much needed. There's so many people struggling. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, "Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother, and do not take this thing to heart." So Tamar remained desolate in her brother, Absalom's house. He basically said, sister, come stay with me. I will take care of you. Come stay with me. Again, understandable in that environment. He's basically saying to her, this is not your fault. You didn't do anything, Tamar, to deserve this. Don't you allow this shame to be brought on you because somehow you did something wrong. No, Tamar, you were there innocently. You had gone gone because he had played ill because of the counsel of this wicked evil man and because Amnon listened to that counsel he himself engaged in evil wicked deeds that's why Jesus says don't deceive yourselves around that kind of counsel don't you deceive yourselves have no party with it have nothing to do with it I mean it get away from it I don't care if it's your whoever get away from it 
Nothing good is going to come from it. It's only going to take you down and those around you. But when the king, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And you know what he should have done? He should have carried out the law. The kings were to write the law, weren't they? The scribes were to write the law. David knew the law. It's one thing to be angry. It's another thing to respect your son and put him in a place higher than God's commandments and statutes. And friends, before we get too quick to judge David, we do the same thing today. Maybe you didn't rape somebody, praise God. Maybe you're not turning around. But every time we forsake the commandments and statutes of God and we put our opinions and the things we think is right over the things God has commanded, we have done the very same thing David has just done when he said, I'm angry, but didn't bring judgment. He didn't bring righteousness. And this is going to haunt David. Haunt David this way. And God's allowing free will is not his desire. David, what are you doing? Didn't you just learn how I expressed and gave you forgiveness? Wouldn't it have been wonderful if you would have brought them to the magistrates or the judges? And then the judges said, well, okay, the Lord has put them there. Are you repentant? And they would have restored Amnon. But because there was no righteous judgment, there was nothing that brought that judgment to Amnon, he basically could do whatever he wants. You know what? It doesn't work out here. I'll go live over there. I'll go, I'll go where they'll let me do what I can do. I'll go live this way. But there was no righteous judgment. There, it, was, it was enabling Amnon. Not Amnon, what you did was wrong, and now I have to deliver you up to the counselors or to the, to the righteous judges. Or the, that was the right thing to do. You know, you, we all need to take this into Scripture. What, what do we do when we see things that are being done wrong? Do we just turn a blind eye at our jobs? And, well, it's not mine. You know, I don't own the company. When things are even done wrong in the church, do we turn around and just say, well, it's not affecting me? No. This is our family. The God, is, God has knit you all together. We're a family. Not just the folks on Wednesdays and the folks on We're a family. It's the body of Christ. And we need to hold each other accountable. And if you see other people enabling people, turn around and say, can I talk to you? Can we have a cup of coffee and sit down and invest in them and, and say, you know, I was reading scripture and I kind of noticed this. What do you think about that? And just read them the word of God. And if they choose not to listen, if they choose not to adhere to the God's counsel, God will deal with them. And you know how often that happens? He allows them to be given over to their own desire. He allows it to happen. And then it spirals out of control. And then eventually, years later, you look back and you see the devastation. Real love, perfect love, is not compromising with sin. It's standing in the gap and drawing people to Christ for reconciliation and forgiveness so that they can be holy and in the fellowship of God. And sometimes that means we have to 
look at people we love, our family, our kids, our wives, the people we know, and say, I don't think this is right. It's not okay. It's really hard to do, isn't it? It's really hard to do, though. But God would have us to do that. He tells us in James not to be respecters of persons. Many times he'll use you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ with love and truth. Because he respects Amnon in a way he shouldn't, puts him into place, Absalom's going to take his life and he's going to set up a plot. We'll read about it next week. And he's going to murder Amnon. And then David once again isn't going to deal with it. And then what's going to happen? Absalom's going to form a coup and come against David. And ultimately that's going to cost Absalom's life. Because David didn't stand in the gap. David didn't stand in righteousness and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. Friends, stand in the gap. Don't compromise. I promise you if you do that, there are going to be hard conversations with the people at your job, with the people around you. But I promise you, God will always go before you. And if you give them to the Lord and allow God to handle the consequences and you don't enable the sin to the point of, you know, my boys knew it. Hey, you, you get to the point where you talk to mommy, you talk to my wife. I don't care if she's your mother. You talk to my wife with disrespect, you will find another residence to live in. Now, I don't care how old you are. My, 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 wow, pastor, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it is, but it's biblical because you're to honor your mother and father that it may be long life for you, right? That's what's one of the blessings. And, and I'm not saying we do it right all the time. We don't. We make mistakes. We do. But the reality is they know where they stand, and they crave that. They crave that desire. And it's honestly part of when we were kids, right, it's part of our job description to hit the bumpers. And if we do it the right way, may God... Work that way in our lives in all things. May God surround us with men and women that love us and care about us enough to be honest and to stand in truth even when we lie to ourselves. That's my prayer for all of us this evening because through that, God will correct, God will restore, and God will make whole. Amen? Will you stand and pray with me? Go ahead and read uh, verses 23 and uh, chapter 14. And we'll pick up there next week should the Lord tarry. As I was worshiping God over there earlier with you all, one of the things that came to my mind that we have done Every time the Lord has moved us step by step, green light by green light, is we've come together to pray. Those of you that have been with us for six or more years in the beginning, you know every building we've gone to, every place we've been, we gathered together and we held hands and we prayed for God's anointing and for God's leading. This Sunday, I'd like to invite you all to come with me to this new parcel of land. It's 28 North Locust Point Road. Just 
think about all the things that are in this. The Adams family, as my wife pointed out, Adam. Locust, point them to what's coming, Revelation. It's just all over, man. But I really want to encourage us to come. It'll be at 12.30, okay? So maybe we leave here at 12, 12.15, and we'll all go over to the land. If you're able to make it, we'll just park our cars. We'll go, and we'll stand around the, the corn's cut down. We'll stand around it, and we'll just hold hands, and we'll... Maybe we'll do a couple worship songs, and then we'll turn around and pray for God's will to be done. We have always done that, and God is always going before us, whether it's to open a door or to close it. Everything we do in our lives ought to be Christ-centered. So I want to, I just, the Lord brought it to my heart. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to go. If you would like to come with me and, and with us, I invite you all to come. So it'll be this Sunday, 1230, we're going to pray. Well, let's do that right now. Father, we thank you for your holy word. And Lord, thank you that you have lived or given us these examples, excuse me, Lord, very clearly that we don't have to walk in these things. Lord, certainly I would never look at David and give him a hard time, God, because Lord, I'm just as inadequate and Yet, God, you saw him with a pure, holy heart because his heart was after you and his, generally speaking, his motives were pure. But he did blow it, and so do I, Lord, and so do we. God, I pray that you will forgive us for any sin, anything we've done, not only recently, but, Lord, ever. That we would lay our lives down before you tonight and be completely forgiven, completely redeemed. And Lord, we'd look to the future. We'd look to the here and now, certainly because there's work to be done in the ministry, equipping saints for the work of the ministry, Lord. People coming to know you, Jesus, evangelism. You're putting that in our hearts to go door to door again and to get out in our communities. And Lord, I, I already see you beginning to move on the hearts of your people to do that. Lord, I pray you'd raise up a someone here, Lord, if it's their heart to be uh, help out with addictions ministry. Maybe they've struggled with addictions themselves or, Lord, I pray that if there are people struggling with addictions here, Lord, that they don't keep it to themselves. They come forward and, Lord, we can, we can open the word of God and healing can begin to take place. Restoration can begin to take place, Jesus. I pray, God, you'll do that. That, that you will keep your people holy and set apart. That you will wash them white as snow. That they would be presented to you without blemish. And Lord, I do pray for our ladies that you will protect them, Lord. Whether it's widows or singles, Lord, that you will protect them and go before them from these wolves, Lord, that just seek to destroy. Jesus, I just ask that you go before this fellowship in all things, that you will protect our children. As we heard Tom come up and talk about all the work you're doing in children's ministry and the fruit and everything, God, we pray just wash their minds with the word of God. Save them, Jesus. And I pray you will continue to disciple them and grow them closer and closer to you, Lord. And I pray, God, you will raise up. I think he said 10 teachers he's looking for or helping. God, I praise you. And I, and I, I pray that you'll raise up mothers, Lord, that are even with children now so that they can come alongside the other mothers as they're serving in children's ministry and others too, Lord. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to come here and worship you tonight, to learn and be um, just 
completely encouraged by you here tonight. And I pray you send us our way faithful and faithfully. We love you, Jesus Christ, and we pray all these things in your holy name, Jesus. And all God's people prayed, amen. God bless you. I love you, and I will see you this Sunday, Lord willing.